Welcome on this uh, Monday, the 7th of March, as we finish up the book of Habakkuk, the minor prophet uh, in the Old Testament. And here we are at chapter 3. Just a couple of reminders. Remember, this is uh, this is, book is a unit. We've divided up into chapters and verses to make it easier for us to study it, and especially to reference it. But a couple of, of uh, reminders about that. First of all, the name Habakkuk means embracer. He's an embracer. He's hugging God's people. He's embracing them in the midst of their, their turmoil and their fears, embracing them not with himself, but with the gospel and with the, with the law and the gospel of God. The fact that God is, is more powerful than sin, uh, that God doesn't tolerate sin or sinners, uh, but that God in his grace has sent a savior uh, for whom we have forgiveness and through whom we have forgiveness and we have an example of God's love. So how does Habakkuk embrace them? Well, first of all, in chapter one, he embraces the people by making this complaint to God, the, the how long, O God, will I cry to you for help? We see this throughout the Psalms and we're encouraged to come to God, our complaints to God, if you will, are not like complaints that we that we have today where we're just simply whining uh, about something, but the fact that we know who to go to uh, in times of trouble, we know who to go to always, and we take that uh, right to our Lord. It really is a sign of faith, uh, done in respect, obviously, realizing that we are not God and not questioning God in that way as if we know more than God, but asking of God questions and, and crying out to God as he wants us to do. Uh, he says, call upon me in the day of trouble. Um, and, and he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. So we definitely have that invitation uh, to do that. Uh, but we do it in, in a sense of respect and in trust of God. So here we got uh, Habakkuk sounding a whole lot like the psalmist again, too, in his prayer. In fact, that word prayer, uh, we see five times come up in the Psalms and in the prayers that David has to God for, for his people. So a good example of that right there. And, and where does he go to? Well, first of all, he reminds uh, uh, the reader and himself of, of having looked at the Lord, looked at the works of the Lord, how he now fears the Lord when he sees God's work. And I guess the message that really comes home for me is, do you see the Lord working around you? Do I see God's work going on around us? Or do I assume this is all just human understanding and human knowledge and human working? And, and all of this is just some kind of fatalistic world where we're just kind of waiting for time to wind down uh, and then it's all going to be over. Or do we see the works of God uh, in, in the power of his church church um in the power of nature as, as we see the turmoil that's going on in nature because of the fall into sin and and do I see God intervening especially now um, as we're thinking in the time of Lent as we witness and remember again that God did send his only son uh, to come and to die and to rise and to conquer death for us and so that even as we go out to the cemetery uh, we remember that resurrection that we have in Jesus Christ as we as we put that body into the ground that dead body where we're doing it in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection into eternal life. So, but notice where it leads us in, uh, then too, and that is the fear of the Lord. A good thing, number one, first of all, being afraid of God's power, seeing the incredible power that God has, but then fear of the Lord in the sense of awe in that that God loves me so much. He gave his only son to die for me. And therefore, because I'm afraid of God, I don't need to be afraid of anything else because he's more, power th more powerful than anything else. That God that I'm afraid of um, in a good way is on 
on my side and therefore I have nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing more powerful than him. There's nothing that he hasn't and is going to conquer. He is truly going to reign forever and ever. And that's where I kind of see the sense in verse 2 of, in wrath, remember your mercy. In wrath, we see the things that make us afraid of God because we see his awesome power and the fact that there is no one, there is no one who gets away with evil. God punishes and conquers them all. Uh, but also, uh, remembering your mercy in that as you, you took out your wrath on Jesus on the cross, now, just as Jesus told the thief on the cross who reached out to him in faith, today we can know that we will be in paradise. We can be at peace with God. And I see that salvation running through the whole thing. Because in, in the remaining verses, like verses 3 through 8, uh, we hear about God's incredible wrath and power in the midst of creation. Now, how his hand uh, uh, does what he wants it to do. And, and we see the, the powerful effects of that in all of creation. And yet, in verse 8, he comes to and he says, you know, is God's wrath really against the rivers or against the seas or against the against the horses? No, his wrath is against evil and against Satan because he's coming on a chariot of salvation. God's grace is why he shows his wrath and, and he punishes evil and he punishes Satan and he conquers sin and death and Satan for us. That's good news for us. But notice a couple of notes too while I'm on that page yet. Um, a couple of things that just kind of baffle yet scholars of the Bible. A couple of terms we're not 100% sure what they mean. We haven't found a direct correlation. For instance, in verse 1, this is a shiganoth. I'm not 100% sure what that word means. Probably some musical notation or or kind of way to catalog this psalm. As well as the selah that you see at the end of verse 3 and you see in the middle of verse 9. Probably some kind of breath mark or, or a point where we ought to pause and think and, and uh, reflect again. Uh, but just kind of interesting that, you know, as much as we think we know, we really don't know. Uh, and that's okay. God knows and we trust him. If you turn, if I turn my page, I go over to verse 13, where again, the focus is on God's salvation. God is showing his anger and his wrath to conquer Satan on our behalf uh, to give us salvation. So verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, uh, that God would consider us his people, that he would call us that uh, in our baptism, in his calling. And he goes out for our salvation. Remember that word salvation is a Jesus word. That, that name Jesus comes from that word for salvation. And he does for the salvation of your anointed. And it's kind of interesting. That's Messiah. God's anointed one, the the the, uh, uh, the ultimate anointed one is Jesus. But you and I are also anointed uh, by faith and, and saved by grace, uh, the grace of God in him. And then uh, the last part of the verse, you have crushed the head of the house of the wicked. And, and I got to believe that's a reference back to Genesis chapter 3, where God promised that while um, the Savior's heel would be crushed, he would crush the head of the enemy of ours, who is, uh, who is Satan. And then... Um, um, just a little bit more about that, uh, about that ultimate victory that God is going to uh, bring upon the earth. Um, but then it ends with, um, yet I will wait, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. That's verse 16. Now I know that's a direct reference for Habakkuk. God is going to send the Babylonians to come in. But you know what? You and I are still in that waiting period too when the ultimate, ultimate end of our enemies um, is going to come. And Satan is going to be defeated on that last day when Jesus comes back. And, and how do we live? Well, look at the last three verses. Habakkuk embraces the people with the great message of faith and of hope. Remember in Habakkuk 2 verse 4, he said, the righteous shall live by faith. What does that faith look like? 
it looks like this. So the fig tree shall not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no uh, herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the Lord of my strength. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes my head. He makes me tread on the high on my high places. And that's what trust in faith in the Lord looks like. So God bless you as you complete another book of the Bible. Way to go. Um, you maybe said at some point, man, I can't read the Bible. It's just too long. Uh, we're taking it book by book um, as it was intended to be read. And as God gives that wonderful message to us wrapped up, um, it's sometimes in three chapters, sometimes in 50 chapters or 150 chapters. Um, but yet the message is still the same, uh, that we have a Savior uh, in Christ and that our hope is sure. God bless you, Zerita.